It's the JT the Brick Show. They get the snap ball. Hand off Jacobs. Has the first down in the big hole. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Raiders. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Raiders bring a blitz. He is smothered and brought down. Max Crosby came around for the sack. Your silver and black home to sound off for over 20 years. Snap to car in the shotgun. Back to pass. Climbs the pocket. Eyes downfield. Fires a strike to Devontae at the 25. Breaks away 20. 15, 10, 5. Dives. Touchdown, Raiders. And now, here's JT the Brick. Thanks for coming back, everybody. JT in Vegas. A nasty nester, a Spain sports talk host in Baltimore on the status of Lamar Jackson coming up here. We had Vinny Bonsignor on in the first hour. Also, a little bit later on, I'll share about my day yesterday, a night with Fred Bolitnikoff and Rod Martin. This is the flagship of the Raiders. I think the story will be good, and uh, we had a good time last night. Tell you all about that as we get going. But we got a guest coming up in a few minutes. Let me get the gangster Raider to start off this hour on his flagship, the flagship of the Raiders. Go ahead. What's up, JT? Yeah, and shout out to Rob Martin. Rob Martin is the man, and Freddie Bolitnikoff. But Rob Martin came out for my son's birthday party. He chopped it up with us for a long time, so he'll always have a place in my heart. But back to um, what you was thinking about the QBs. As far as out of um, Brady and um, Rodgers, I'd rather have Brady just because Brady will be cheaper and he'll add to the team because I think he'll bring players over with him and we won't have to give up you know, draft picks and everything to get him, and I think he'll be less money or whatever. And also, I, I think I like him better as a leader because Aaron Rodgers talking about MVPs instead of championships and all I ever heard Brady mention is championships and Super Bowls, and that's what we need. So if we, can, if we can guarantee a Super Bowl, I'd rather have Brady. But think about this. Out of all the options, um, I heard that Frisco, because of um, Purdy, they might be willing to give up um, Trey Lance for a third-round pick after trading all them draft picks to get him. Wouldn't that be a good option, i say, to go trade for Trey Lance with a third-round pick and then go from there? That's just the option. And also, I want to say, um, as far as um, – do you know – well, that's all I want to say right now. What you think okay. about – because I think that'll hurt Frisco in the long run, too, because they traded so far up to get him that we can get him for a third round and bring him to the Raider Nation. What you think about that? Yeah, that, that would be interesting. I wouldn't give much – I wouldn't give up much to get him. I don't think it's development in the player that he was drafted. And, again, I was never a Trey Lance guy to be that high of a pick to go up and do what they did. And, and look, the kid didn't play at a high level – he did not play a lot of talented teams, and he didn't play a lot of games in college. If you put in the COVID year, too, he didn't play a lot. I thought the Niners really reached on that. It's a very important point you just made there about the Niners and why they have to lose. The number one reason the Niners have to lose, this is number one on the list, is that Kyle Shanahan is so bleep and cocky, and that's good. When you're winning games, you have the right to be cocky. But he went after Trey Lance and acted like he was the smartest guy in the universe. I got the guy. I'm not telling you. We're going to trade up and get him. We're going to do this. And I pulled it off. He thinks he's so cocky that he pulled off the Trey Lance deal. And it blew up in his face. And the same thing with Jimmy Garoppolo. They couldn't get a bag of footballs for Jimmy G. No one wanted him. And who comes to the rescue but Mr. Irrelevant in Brock Purdy? Can you imagine the arrogance of Kyle Shanahan if he wins the Super Bowl with Brock Purdy? Let that sink in for a second. That'll be one of the greatest coaching jobs in the history of the sport, dating back to uh, leather helmets. I I can tell you that much. So that's one of the reasons I don't want to see the Niners win, because of the arrogance of Kyle Shanahan telling everybody that he could do it with a third-string quarterback. Okay, he'll think he's the next Bill Walsh if he pulls this off. Nestor Aparicio, my longtime friend, 
a great sports talk host all over the world, and especially based out of Baltimore. When Ness, we're talking about Lamar Jackson. Let's jump right in. Is it feasible that he's not going to be back at Owings Mill there at the facility and that maybe ownership and the GM don't want him there anymore because he's turning into a headache? Well, he's no Brock Purdy at this point. He's not playing football this weekend, right? So mm-hmm. um, uh, good to, ha- good to, uh, to, good to have you, you, as always, man. And um, Yeah, I, it's the most interesting offseason here ever, right? I mean, I've been on the radio here since before the Ravens existed. So I've been through the quarterback issues of Jeff Blake and Stoney Case and Scott Mitchell. And I, mean, I remember we didn't have a quarterback here, right? Then Flacco comes along. And he's good, but he's not good enough. He just, you know, won playoff games on the road five years in a row, won a Super Bowl, put the ball in Lee Evans' hands before Billy Cundiff missed a kick, right? So, uh, and but the Lamar thing is fascinating because this franchise has never lost a player. It's wanted to keep for real. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they wanted to keep C.J. Mosley a couple of years ago. They would have loved to have kept Jarrett Johnson a decade ago, but they don't lose players here. You know, they 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 keep their own. I mean, Loquan Smith was here five minutes. They gave him $100 million, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I, this is, if he goes, it's because they want him to go, or they believe that it's okay if he goes. Because if they believe they were going to win three out of the next six Super Bowls with him, I think that they would just pony up $233 million of guaranteed money. I think on the inside, they've had enough. I think they're exasperated with him holding up signs saying, pay me you know, on national television, putting WTF out on draft night when they traded his wide receiver, Hollywood Brown. And they knew, he knew, they told him he was being traded because Hollywood Brown asked to be traded. And again, this is a franchise that no one ever asked out of here, Brick. This is a place people wanted to come to. This is a place where Steve Smith, Chris Canty, mm-hmm. Anquan Bolden, Trevor Price. You just go through the, the list of guys, let alone Ed Reed and Terrell Suggs and Ray Lewis and Elodie Nod, the guys that, were, that were, were drafted into this. This was a place where people wanted to play and a place they wanted to be. And now all of a sudden in this generation, since Ozzy's gone, Orlando Brown wanted out. He's playing this weekend. Hayden Hurst, first-round draft pick, asked for a trade. He's playing this weekend. Wink Martindale was almost playing this weekend, right? I mean, they weren't as good as the Eagles, but there, there has been a real exodus here. And, you know, John Harbaugh is the king of all things Ravens. Eric, I, I think, is still feeling his way as the general manager, even though he's been here for 30 years. But this contract negotiation with a player who doesn't have an agent, I mean, Brick, you've been at this a long time, and Lamar Jackson not having an agent did him no favors over the last seven, eight weeks when the team positioned his injury. And a couple of years ago when Mark Ingram was here, they had this thing called Big Trust. Big Trust, Big mm-hmm. Trust. They had T-shirts. It was their slogan. It was, it was their thing the year they were 14-2. and two. And Mark Ingram laughed. We haven't heard Big Trust around here in three years. And the, the word T-R-U-S-S really meant trust. It meant trust. And I don't see trust between Lamar Jackson, his agent, who also happens to be Lamar Jackson, and Eric DaCosta and John Harbaugh, certainly Steve Bishotti involved in this. I mean, Greg Roman's fired now. I mean, he, mm-hmm. was, he was a great offense coordinator when they were 8-3 and three and 8-4 and four the last couple of years, right? It's just been a curious time for the Ravens. And, and they've won two playoff games, Brick, since they won the Super Bowl 10 years ago next week. They've won two playoff games in 10 years. So this isn't – and the Cincinnati Bengals are coming on strong, I think, as yeah. you can see. So this is a tough time for them, and this is a tough – negotiation, but I think they'll deal Lamar, and I think they'll get draft picks because I don't think they'll be the highest bidder 
for Lamar. Nestor Aparicio joins us, WNST, his own station. He owns it, his great career. So let me jump in with you on that because I think that the franchise tag was invented for just this, where you don't want to give him $240 million guaranteed. You don't. You'd like to sign him for something less and get it long-term, but if you can't, you just tag him. And it doesn't seem because his mom's his agent or the way he's been behaving, like you said, and I wanted Raider fans to hear this. I don't think he would act very kindly to a franchise tag. I'm talking about a holdout, a guy who would just be freaking out if he knew that he wasn't going to get over $200 million in complete control of that negotiation. So are you sensing the franchise tag in Baltimore is not going to come? No, I don't. Yeah. I, I think it'll come. Yeah, it'll absolutely. I mean, a million percent he'll get franchised, and then he's going to get dealt. Now, what kind of franchise tag they put on him, whether it's two number ones, and they reserve the right to match whatever wacky team is out there. You know, Brick, at the heart of all of this is really the owners, right? It's mm-hmm. the oligarchs of the league, because this was really about Jimmy Haslam getting out of line in Cleveland in that wild bidding war last year that, you know, cost the Atlanta Falcons their relationship with Matt Ryan, right? I mean, Panthers still don't have a quarterback. Saints still don't have a quarterback. So these other teams that went crazy last year, now you tack on to that that you may be adding Houston, Nashville, Tampa. I saw Tom Brady was searching for places for his kids down in Miami. I mean, there's a lot of places without quarterbacks, uh, and there's a, and there's there's a lot of heat on Lamar. And that being said, an owner, an owner of a franchise, some Daniel Snyder type, has to get involved here to guarantee $200, $250 million. And when that owner gets involved, they're going to get sideways with the other owners who don't want any guaranteed contracts for anyone. Not, and, and certainly giving a guaranteed contract to a guy who hasn't posted up and played after Thanksgiving the last two years in the prime of his career, and there's some <laughs> conjecture that he might have been healthy enough to play last week, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. the question everyone should ask themselves is, all right, they get along last offseason, they kiss, they're nice, Eric gives him $232 million of guaranteed money, he comes in, would he have played two weeks ago? If he was under contract, yes. would he have played? Because it certainly felt like, Maybe until the point where he released his own tweet as his own agent saying that he had a level two on the cusp of level three grade sprain. And that goes against everything the Ravens were saying for six weeks. And if he had an agent and he really had a worse sprain in the beginning or if he re-injured it, re-aggravated, he would have had someone to publicly portray this. Now, that being said, Brick, here's the interesting part. We can all say... Well, Lamar, you know, not sophisticated enough to have an agent, doesn't understand he would have had television deals when all these quarterbacks that aren't as good as him have deals, have TV deals and sponsorship deals, all that extra money that's been laid out there. But in the end, Lamar has negotiated this thing perfectly, right? Like, Mm -hmm. if he would have gone out there and played hurt and gotten beat two weeks ago, it would have been on his record. He can say, I wasn't hurt. The Ravens then have to say, well, we love Lamar because they want to keep his value up, right? And in the end, in the end, Lamar is going to pick where he goes, a little bit like Deshaun Watson. He's going to get more money than Russell Wilson, more money than, than, uh, than, than Kyler Murray, maybe less money than Deshaun Watson. Yes. But I'm not so sure about that. Maybe. But he's going to get more money by a lot than Eric DeCosta and Steve Bishotti have ever been willing to give him. And certainly now that he hasn't posted in January twice, more money than they're willing to give him. 
so I think he is much more valuable to the outside world based on his potential and the sizzle and the stake and selling tickets and blah, blah, blah. We love Las mm-hmm. Vegas in the Strip, or we love Miami. Or His tax situation yeah. is also huge in this, Brick. You know that, right? So playing for a California team and getting taxed wouldn't be like playing for a Florida team and getting taxed if you're really trying to squeeze every nickel out of the deal. And it's been very clear that and add on, tack this on, because I talk about this every day, all day. You know that. For the, 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 the Players Association. Nobody in the players is the worst. None of these guys, they, they don't want Lamar taking less money. They don't want him taking a non-guaranteed deal. So there's just a lot. This is a landmark situation, and the Ravens, I think, are going to negotiate themselves into getting three number one picks and just move and just pivot. Um, okay, they that's pivoted from Joe Flacco and a whole bunch of Ray Lewis. They pivoted from other guys, you know. Yeah, those picks are really expensive here. Nestor Aparicio, as we wrap it up, WNST in Baltimore. All right, so finally, tell our audience why Lamar would be the perfect fit for the Las Vegas Raiders with Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, Josh Jacobs led the league in rushing. They got a great left tackle. Why he would be perfect here, or knowing what you've said about his mindset. Uh, maybe not playing the way he should have, not playing hurt, not helping out the organization. Would he not be a fit here in Las Vegas as we're looking for a new quarterback? I think he'll be a great fit anywhere he goes if he stays healthy, right? Okay. I mean, I'm not down on the kid. He's won a lot of games here. I'm a Raven fan. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I do think from the night he was drafted, and I, I'd go back find tapes of you and me that week, right? He mm-hmm. runs into linebackers. This is not. This is ill-conceived. If you think Lamar Jackson can run the ball 14, 16, 21 times, which he's done in November, and think that you're going to have a quarterback up. I mean, look at what the Chiefs are going through this week with Mahomes. Mm -hmm. I mean, Burrow, everybody had a moment last week with him, right, with his ankles. It's a rough sport, and they're all one of one, these franchise quarterbacks. So you love them until he can't play in December. And I would say as much as you love Josh Allen, Mahomes, any of these – elite players, these guys aren't trying to run in to linebackers and scheming running into linebackers 160, 180, 200 times a year. In addition to sacks and drop back and all the rest of that, it's a punishment issue for me, um, Brick, as much as it is anything, and I think it's, it's tread on the tire included in that as to what a 29-year-old version of Lamar Jackson's going to look like versus what a 29-year-old version of any quarterback who doesn't go out and strategically try to run into linebackers 10, 15, 20 times a week. Mm-hmm. That's all. All right, last thing on music. We go to concerts with friends. We love music. This is the first time in a long time. You know, I went and saw the Stones in Liverpool before you and I. So everybody who's listening, uh, Nestor and I were going to Amsterdam. I had VIP, and I was standing outside Jonas Krump Stadium where I looked down at my phone and found out my meeting backstage with the band was canceled because the greatest rock frontman of all time, by the way, of all time, had COVID, which I guess he's never had before and never had since, and it canceled our night together at the concert in Amsterdam. I don't have a concert ticket in front of me. I'm not a Swifty. She's coming to Vegas. This is the longest I've gone without looking at my phone or my calendar saying I'm going to see this concert next. What are you going to see next? Two things. Uh, Springsteen's tour begins next Wednesday in Tampa. I'll be there or square. I'm going to see some Bruce. Uh, Depeche Mode opening their tour in Sacramento, a town I've never been to at the end of March. Uh, I'm going to go chase Springsteen in some places where I haven't spent a whole lot of time, like Austin, 
Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's what I, you know, everybody went out last year, Brick, everybody, right? So, uh, because of the plague, everybody went out at the same time. So this has been sort of that weird winter where nobody's on the road, but I think it's going to ramp back up this summer, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you out in Vegas or you on the road mm-hmm. somewhere doing something fun, man. I really uh, appreciate you having me on. Yep. We certainly are the center of this the NFL universe with Lamar, because this is a fascinating story all the way around. You got it, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Best to your wife. I'll be good. Thanks, Rick. Appreciate you, brother. You got it. That is Nasty Nestor, Nestor Aparicio. And I always go to him when there's Ravens news. And Vinny had it in the cover of the paper today, Lamar Jackson, if he becomes available. And Vinny broke it down very nicely here on how expensive it could be to get Lamar Jackson. And I think that could be too rich unless Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler said, We have one opportunity in our life to get a 26-year-old Lamar Jackson. Okay, the only way we're going to be a Super Bowl contender in the long term, which would be the short term, Lamar Jackson, you'd be a Super Bowl contender with this Raider team right out of the gate, but you'd have to lose draft picks, and I think the money would not be the end of this deal, the money, but, man, did Vinny put this out beautifully. Listen to what he said. This is Vinny Monsignor on Lamar Jackson. Ravens insist they want to keep him, blah, blah, blah. He's 26 years old as he hits the market if he does. Franchise tag in which teams can make offers, but the Ravens would have matching power ability. Under the franchise tag, the Raiders would have to be willing to put together, now listen to this, an offer to the Ravens. The Ravens would not match, but then give up two first-round picks as compensation. Wow. So in order to get Lamar Jackson, the Raiders would have to give up two first-round picks if Lamar was franchised. And Nestor just told you that they'd franchise him because they'd want those first two-round picks. Would that be worth it to Raider Nation? It'd be the seventh pick overall, which is a high pick. You know, then they'd have to give up another first-round pick. That's rich. But you'd have Lamar Jackson. You'd have him for six or seven years at Allegiant Stadium, running away from linebackers and cornerbacks, and probably winning another MVP and probably putting you in the playoffs a few times. That's why it's risk-reward. It's totally risk-reward on how much you got to give up to get Aaron Rodgers, not so much for Tom Brady, but Lamar Jackson. It's money, and it's draft picks. And I don't think the Raiders are in a situation now where they can give up draft picks again. I don't think so. I don't think they want to give up draft picks. They gave up two for Devontae, and it was a brilliant move. Dave Ziegler deserves a ton of credit for that one. Uh, The first and second round pick for Devontae to lock him up here was fantastic. And they got more than those picks, I think. That was, a good, that was a good move by the Raiders. But another two first-round picks? I don't think that's the style of Dave Ziegler. I could be wrong. I think he wants to build through the draft, as Vinny said earlier. Man, we are partners with the great Remy Martin. You won't believe what they got going on at the Super Bowl. I told you they have a commercial, a one-minute commercial, which is going to be fantastic. They're also partnering up and sponsoring Shaq's Funhouse on February 10th, the Tao and Maxim Super Bowl party on the 11th, Gronk's Pool Party on February 11th, and my friend, Guy Fieri's Flavortown Tailgate. Wow, Remy Martin, what a great partner with ours. Team up for excellence. Got an open line for you. I'd like to hear from you as we continue to go on this. Uh, The roster, the quarterback scenario, and the AFC and the NFC Championship game. Coming up, I'm going to get into that. And also what I uh, saw last night. I had a great dinner with Fred Bolitnikoff, our wives. Rod Martin and his wife joined us. I did not have an alligator arm. I reached. I reached. I, I picked it up. So those who are asking me, do not worry. I, 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 did the, I put my card out when they weren't looking. So I took care of those legends. 
and had an amazing night. I'll tell you some stories about that coming up. And we'll look at the status of Mahomes and what it will take to beat the 49ers coming up next. They'll roll that way. Off reverse action. They find Kelsey inside the five and lunges into the end zone. Trots in touchdown. Kansas City. Mahomes to Kelsey for the 12th time in the postseason. Okay, we continue a busy show today on the flagship of the Silver and Black Raider Nation Radio. JT with you. Brought to you by M Resort. Spa and Casino, home of the Raiders Tavern and Grill. That's where we did the pre- and post-game show when the Raiders were on the road this year. Anthony's, what a great restaurant. So I'm getting a plug-in. Yes, we do that on the radio. If you're a partner with us, we talk about you. We think we talk about our partners more than any show in America because we love to have our partners stay with us. So last night, pretty cool story I wanted to share with you. If you look at my Twitter feed, at JT the Brick, I shared some pictures uh, last night, I was at the stadium, Allegiant Stadium, Rays Coca-Cola. They had an event there, a chalk talk. The members of their valuable team, corporate partners with the Raiders, were there, and they had a tour of the stadium. And then we got on a stage, and I had Fred Bolitnikoff with me and Brandon Parker. And we did what's called the chalk talk, where you sit there and I interview these guys about their career football, and we talk about the team and open up to some questions. It's always fun to do it, always an honor for me to be invited to emcee those type of events. So first, Brandon Parker, who got hurt last year, didn't play all season, and a valuable asset to the Raiders, a third-round pick, a guy who's big and strong, and he tore his tricep. He was explaining the injury, and he's rehabbed it the full year. So he's close to 100%. He looked great, really fit. And he talked about his career and his life and coming to the Raiders and what the Raiders mean to him. And again, that's an important piece for the Raiders. Whatever the Raiders decide to do with him, he's a valuable asset to this organization. Good guy, really good guy, loves the Raiders, and he was just honored to be on stage with Fred Bolitnikoff. And Freddie was fantastic. He told some really good stories about going from Florida State. I'll share one with you. When Fred played his last game in college in the Gator Bowl, in the bowl game, he had an amazing game. And he was deciding on either going to Detroit, the NFL and the AFL at that time. He thought his family thought he was going to go to the Detroit Lions. And the Detroit Lions wanted him. And when Fred finished the game, was on the field, Fred got to the sidelines and Al Davis was waiting there with a contract. It's an amazing story. His parents were at the game. His parents didn't know anything about the AFL, didn't know Oakland, didn't know this. He's telling the story. So Fred signs the contract on the field, goes into the locker room, cleans up, tells his parents, who are not thrilled at that moment, that their son from Erie, Pennsylvania, wasn't going to play in Detroit where they had some family connection and was going out to Oakland. It was just a classic Freddie B story. And he was sharing stories later about Pete Banaszak. Same thing happened to Pete Banaszak down in Miami. And they put him in a hotel, and they signed him, and he's a Raider. So those stories are really cool back in the day on how the legendary Raiders were born in the 60s into the 70s. And then Freddie, who played in Super Bowl II, had to play all the way to Super Bowl XI. Think of that, everybody. You come into the league, Super Bowl II, you got to wait till Super Bowl XI. He got the MVP of the game. And I've asked Freddie this question many times about being the MVP of the Super Bowl, and he says it so humbly. He says, 
anyone could have been the MVP of that game. So he knew that he didn't score a touchdown in that game, but he had two monster catches. Villa Piano played great in that game. Remember the legendary hit, Jack Tatum, on Sammy White, the snake, the ghost. Everybody had a great game. And Fred was so humble, he said, when he found out, he was excited, he was surprised, and he said, all of my teammates who played that game could have won the MVP. It was a very humble moment for him, and he continues to say that. And it's not controversial, but that's an interesting story, and I'll tie it into another one momentarily. So we do that event. After it's done, my wife and Fred's wife, Angela, we're going to meet for dinner at M. At Anthony's, a beautiful restaurant there, and we're, and we're running early. We were able to finish this event early, and we got there, and we we're having a couple of cocktails talking. And Fred, we had about an hour before our wives came, and Fred started just telling stories, and I was picking his brain. And I'm not talking about Raiders stories tied to this team. You know, a lot of people always think, well, how do you tie it to Josh McDaniels? It has nothing to do with that. We're just having a conversation, and I was asking Freddie, because Peyton Manning and Eli Manning said a couple of weeks ago there's no such thing as halftime adjustments. And I remembered that comment, and Peyton Manning says, I had no time. I just went to the bathroom, had an orange, and the next thing you know, we're back out on the field. I said, Freddie, is that true? What do you do for halftime adjustments? And he said he doesn't remember them. <laughs> That's Fred Bolitnikoff, a Hall of Famer. He said, we didn't have adjustments at all. We might have changed the play. We might have changed the route for one of my other teammates, but we didn't make adjustments. He said, the defense made most of the adjustments. If the defense was losing or they weren't playing well, maybe they changed the scheme up a bit. But even Fred Bolitnikoff said what Peyton Manning said. He doesn't recall any adjustments. They just went out and played. So at that time, we're getting ready to sit down and have dinner in the bar. We're going to go to our table, and Rod, Rod Martin's there with his wife the iconic Raider linebacker. So I want to tie in the MVP because he didn't win the MVP. Jim Plunkett won the MVP in Super Bowl 15. And a lot of people thought Rod Martin should have won. Okay, that's the only guy ever to have three interceptions in a game. Rod sits down with us. And to see Rod and Freddie talk football and Rod jumped into the conversation and we started to talk about a few things. And then Mr. Davis's name come up, comes up, Al Davis. So I'm asking Fred and Rod some stories about Al Davis, Mr. Davis. And Freddie told some interesting stories when he was a coach. He was a wide receiver coach for the Raiders, and he had Tim Brown and Jerry Rice. And I said, what was that like? And he was explaining to me how unique it was, the pros, class pros going into every game, and how good he thought that Jerry Porter was and Ronald Curry. He told me that Ronald Curry, remember him, Raider Nation? He said he could make catches that no one's ever made in his opinion. That's how talented he was. And I was asking, what was it like to coach Jerry and Tim? And he said, they were just pros. All you had to do was tell them something once. All you had to do was show them something on film. And I said, well, they didn't make many mistakes. And he said, no, but this is when it got really cool, this Al Davis story. He's telling me, Fred Bolitnikoff, that when Al Davis saw a play in real time, so he's at the game in his box, and he saw a receiver run a wrong route, or do, don't do, he didn't do something correctly, that said receiver. Fred knew about it in the locker room after the game. This is the owner. He's so good at knowing scheme and the players and the right routes and all the schemes that he would tell Fred. And then Fred would hear about it at night on a phone call. Or Fred would hear about it the next morning before practice. And then Fred's saying all he would have to do is if it was Timmy or another receiver is just point to the guy underneath the goalpost. And Fred's moving his hands. He goes, he leans over. He goes, all I had to do was point to the guy with the white track suit on 
up against the goalpost. And I would tell whoever the receiver was, hey, you got to fix this. You got to get it right. Because he over there made me aware of this. I was aware of it, but he made sure I was aware of it. Can you imagine that? Having an owner in sports in the NFL, former coach, commissioner, telling you what you already know about an adjustment that has to be made and then at practice expecting it to see it. And then Rod started laughing because Rod told stories about his day playing linebacker. I said, what about you with Mr. Davis? And he said Mr. Davis knew how many drop, how many steps I needed to drop in for coverage, what downs I should blitz on, what gaps I should go in, and from time to time he would remind me. So that was special to hear those two guys. Rod Martin's a two-time Super Bowl champ. Fred, a Super Bowl MVP and a Hall of Famer, talk football. So I wanted to share that with you. These guys are great guys, just like the guys who are playing now are unbelievable guys. These legends want the Raiders to win so badly. They love the players and the organization and all of that, but the stories that they had. Oh, one last story, really important. I forgot to tell you this one. So during the chalk talk, one of the, uh, one of the ladies in the crowd asked a question, and she said, uh, my grandson, I believe she said, wants to play football, and I'd like to know what age you think is the proper age to teach your kid or to sign your kid up to play football. And Brandon Parker looks at me and he goes, I got it. Let me take this one. He goes, I have a six-month-old. And he goes, my six-month-old will not put on a helmet until he's 10. I thought that was interesting. I've asked this question to a lot of people before, but I wanted to hear his answer. And he said 10 years old because of what he's seen around the league, obviously. And he even pointed to Fred and said the players of Fred's era, because Fred isn't bothered at all by CTE. Fortunately, Fred unlike some of his teammates who are younger than him, who have onset dementia and some of these issues. Freddie doesn't have any of it. He's sharp as he's ever been. But I thought that was interesting that Brandon Parker shared that. He said, my son, six months old, he won't put a helmet on until he's 10. And then Fred grabbed the microphone, and Fred talked about kids. And I thought it was so great to share this, that Fred Bolitnikoff, who will be 80, 80 years old in two weeks, said, you know, you got to talk to your kids. He goes, back in the day, we played every sport possible. I was playing basketball, baseball, football till the sun set. And I got up in the morning and my buddies went outside and we played uh, before he went to Florida State as a young kid. And he said, I think everybody should talk to their kids about this and have a conversation. Because Fred said, in my era, you just you had parents who didn't care. They were immigrants. Some didn't speak the language. They didn't care if you played sports or not. They wanted you to work. They wanted you to get a job at a young age and do that and others other parents who are more involved would say, hey, play multiple sports to see what you're good at. And Fred's explaining now that there's too much specialization. There's too many kids not playing other sports, which I agree with. I think all kids, 8, 9, 10 through 14, 15, should be playing two or three sports because they might be great at two or three sports. But Fred humbly said, you know, you got to talk to your kids. It's tough now. Kids have heavy weights on their shoulder and, and on their mind. They're going through a lot now. And I want to put words in his mouth about what he meant by that. But he said it's different times than the times that he grew up in. And he thinks that the communication needs to be better with parents and their kids about the decisions they make and have more of an open dialogue because he didn't have that as a kid. But he had brothers and kids in his community that played. And my dad's 84 years old. And I just got back from visiting my dad, played some golf with him. And I know all my dad's story. My dad has an identical twin brother, identical twin. And my dad was all city. In high school at Bayside High in Queens, New York, he was all city in baseball at first base and at basketball. He's a great athlete and very accomplished in high school. 
And my dad always told me stories growing up as a kid. He was my coach in Little League and basketball and all that. And my dad was the classic guy who said we got up in the morning when they didn't have school and they went to the park and they didn't come home until the lights went out. And they played baseball, pick up baseball with all their friends. And then they put their bats and gloves down and they walked right over to the court. Either they had a sandwich with them or went home for a quick bite to eat. Then they came back and played basketball until literally it was pitch black and came home and they had to be on time for dinner. And Fred was laughing about that. He said, if you miss dinner back in the day with grandparents like mine and parents like Fred, you know, they didn't, they didn't save dinner for you. The, the table was clear and you were finished for the night. You didn't eat. And we were laughing about that story. So I wanted to share a few things from yesterday. It was really fun. Honored to be around Brandon Parker and especially Fred Bolitnikoff. And Fred left today. And we had a nice conversation, and he'll be back again. His golf tournament's coming up, and uh, we'll be telling you more and more about Bolitnikoff's golf tournament and how special that's going to be. And I'm rooting for Brandon Parker. I've interviewed him before, but we lost track of him this year because he was on IR the entire year. Uh, depending what the Raiders are doing on the offensive line and all that, it's just a classic once a Raider, always a Raider. You know, you get injured, and you're working out all year on the side. He was at the games, traveling with the team, sitting in the stands, doing things. He really wants to get back on the field. Super good guy. And I appreciate the fact that I got a chance to spend uh, yesterday and into last night with two of them. And Rod Martin. If you see Rod, he lives in town now. And he was dressed up in a beautiful Raider varsity jacket that my wife never saw. Said, Rod, where'd you get that? And he's explaining this jacket that he has with the Raider patch. And it says, just win baby on one side. And Rod Martin's wearing it so proud. Again, if you go to JT the Brick on Twitter, you'll see the picture of Rod and Freddie outside M Resort last night. After It was a, it was a fun memory. And we'll wish Fred Bolitnikoff a happy 80th here on his birthday coming up here in a little bit. 702-365-9200 as we continue. It's all about the quarterbacks today. I woke up, first cup of coffee, turned on the TV. Where are the quarterbacks going? Where are they going? More ideas and maybe Aaron Rodgers' final destination as we continue on the flagship of the Silver and Black. Find out who's going to the big game. The NFL Conference Championships are on Sunday starting at 11 in the morning on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. Penalty clock at 50 seconds. Hutton in the box for the Knights. And now a shot in the middle. Hamilton scores! by himself straight on Dougie Hamilton a rifle beats Logan Thompson New Jersey defeats Vegas three to two great play-by-play call wish they would have won Golden Knights lose on our flagship here across the hall and Vegas now is not playing well they've lost two in a row they're four five and one in their last 10 they're third in the Western Conference now with 61 points trailing the Winnipeg Jets with 63 and the Stars who have 64. What I'm more concerned about for VGK is that the Kings are only one point behind them, Seattle's two points behind them, and Edmonton's four. And the world champion Colorado Avalanche only have 55 points, but the Avalanche have won six in a row, seven and three in their last 10. So Vegas is going the wrong way, and now they come up and they have to play two teams that are going to be inspired. The Rangers, who have 59 points, and the Islanders, who have lost five in a row now at 51 points, a team of my youth. 
This is a big opportunity for VGK. They got to get two wins before they come back here. Really important that Vegas gets a couple of wins on the back end of this road trip and, and bring some intensity back to the fortress. 702-365-9200 if you want to get in on all the quarterback talk we've been doing today. We talked about Lamar Jackson. If you're going to get in before the top of the hour with about 10 minutes left, yes or no on Lamar Jackson? I say yes, but the problem is it's too expensive with two first-round picks. Too expensive with two first-round picks, depending on what the Ravens want to do with him first. If the Ravens can't come to terms with him, they're going to franchise tag him. We know that, and I think that's what's going to happen. I think that the Ravens are going to give him an offer, and Lamar doesn't have an agent. He's not going to like the offer because I don't think he's in a good place right now mentally with the organization. If they tag him, then the Raiders come calling or another team comes calling. Those picks are a little bit too expensive. Remember, not only do you have to pay for the picks, you've got to give up those picks. Then you've got to sign Lamar Jackson to over $200 million. I think, I think the Raiders, the value for Lamar Jackson is $200 million. There's a value for Devontae and Max and all these players here. But you know, Lamar Jackson, I said this, it's the opening of one of my other shows. I don't, just because Deshaun Watson got a stupid, ridiculously dumb $240 million contract from the Browns, that doesn't mean that's the market. That's a ridiculous. If someone in your neighborhood buys one of your houses in your neighborhood for one point five million, and your house is only worth six hundred thousand, that doesn't mean your house is worth one point five million. Someone bought that for some reason. That doesn't mean your house is worth that. And that's what I've said about Lamar. He's worth over two hundred million, but I don't think he's worth two forty or two sixty. But someone's going to figure that out. Scott Rowland made the Baseball Hall of Fame. He won eight Gold Gloves. And that's pretty strong because the reason Scott Rowland got in, and he barely got in, the only one to get into the hall, 76.35%. Todd Helton came up short at 72.2%. I thought Todd Helton was a better hitter than Scott Rowland. The reason why Scott Rowland is in the Hall of Fame is he played tremendous defense. When you play baseball, some guys can just hit, right? DHs, guys hit. They're not flashy with their glove. But this was his sixth year on the ballot. He received... Over 76% of the vote, and he got in. And I, a lot of people are wondering, when you think Hall of Fame in baseball, does Scott Rowland come to mind? But what the whole argument about the Hall of Fame is supposed to be simple. I say a name, and you instantly must say Hall of Fame. And if you think that guy's in the Hall of Fame and it's instant, great. The steroid guys aren't getting in. Alex Rodriguez, only 35.7%. Manny Ramirez, 33.2%. Uh, Andy Pettit, one of the greatest pitchers of his era. His postseason numbers are incredible. 17% for Andy Pettit on a Yankee team. He won five rings. 17% of the vote. It's not easy to get in. But Scott Rowland was able to do it, and he did it because of his glove. He played really well. He had a 281 batting average, 316 homers, over 1,200 RBIs for Philadelphia. And then he played for St. Louis, Toronto, Cincinnati, he was a unanimous pick as the 97 NL Rookie of the Year and hit 421 as the Cardinals won that World Series. That's what got him in. And again, Todd Helton was a franchise icon with the Colorado Rockies. He fell short, barely fell short on the fifth year on the ballot there. Which again, when you play for Colorado, you know your, your numbers are inflated. But he hit, he hit well on the road. He was a good hitter on the road, Todd Helton. But when you're playing... In Colorado, you're not going to be able to get into the Hall of Fame unless you have iconic numbers also, iconic numbers on the road because your numbers are elevated with that. So the Baseball Hall of Fame is very interesting to me. And this is the way Hall of Fame should be. If you're not good enough to get in, you don't get in. 
We just don't start putting people in. Now you have a veterans ballot and then you have the modern day players. So Fred McGriff and Scott Rowland. I'm not going to die on the hill for either one of those guys. I thought McGriff was a better player than Rowland, but Rowland is in and he'll be a Hall of Famer the rest of his life. Uh, Jalen Hurts. So we wanted to talk about this Niner game coming up here. Jalen Hurts says he feels better, but he is not at 100%. Remember, he missed games down the stretch, and he looked closer to himself in the last game. Remember, he had a sprained right shoulder, which he still does. He still has a sprained right shoulder, but he's able to play through it. He concealed this decision and the comment about his shoulder going forward at the press conference earlier today. But he said he does still feel the effects of the injury and that was no consequence in the last game. And he don't think, so, he don't think it's going to affect him in this game coming up. The quote is, I felt better, but it doesn't really matter. Got to get it done, Hurt said uh, to the Athletic. So the only chance that the Niners have is if Jalen Hurts has a bad game. And Jalen Hurts hasn't had many bad games, and neither has Brock Purdy, which makes this game so fascinating to me. Brock Purdy has played at a very high level. And I'm expecting, I'll, I'll die on this hill when we use that term. I thought that we'd see at least one stinker, stink bong from Brock Purdy. If I get it in the NFC Championship game or if I get it in the Super Bowl, I'll take it. But he hasn't done it yet, and I don't know why. I I can't wrap my head around the fact that Brock Purdy hasn't played a bad game, at least one bad game. The closest game he had to a loss was against Las Vegas here at Allegiant Stadium where that game went into overtime. And I didn't think he played poorly in that game. I thought he played reasonably well. So did Jared Stidham. Jared Stidham had an outstanding game there. But Purdy has not lost. 7-0 and as a starter. And he's getting consideration for the Offensive Rookie of the Year. Only, only starting seven games, which is amazing. As we wrap up the show, let me tell you about the moving lines. We had Jeff Sherman on yesterday. And he, he, Jeff Sherman got back to me after his interview yesterday over at the Westgate. I'm trying to find the text message here really quick. Because it was important on all the money that came in instantly on Cincinnati. Uh, Jeff Sherman was able to come back and talk about another bet that came in and how the line moved. So Jeff Sherman said, uh, just got a wave of sharp money on the Chiefs, plus two and a half, and now two. Now it's the Bengals. All of a sudden, I look up there, the Westgate's got the Bengals minus one. So what happened here? Cincinnati got to minus two and a half. That was enough to trigger, trigger the sharp gamblers to come in and go, out, go on Kansas City. They were waiting. Kansas City sharp bettors were waiting for the number to move on that bet there where Kansas City was getting two and a half points here. Remember, Kansas City was minus two when the line opened. Heavy money came in on Cincinnati. And then Cincinnati minus one and a half to two. Once it got to that point, all of a sudden the Kansas City sharp money started coming in again. Isn't it amazing how gambling works? The professionals that we talk about, they wait for a number. They handicap, which I I think a lot of it's garbage, really garbage. I know a lot of gamblers. And they say, well, I handicapped the game. I really, when I handicapped the game, I have it as Cincinnati minus three. And I go, well, who are you? You're not a handicapper, are you? You don't work at Circa as a handicapper. Who are you? Well, just some guy, guy on the radio, a friend of mine. They think these gamblers think they're better than the guys who run these Vegas casinos. And then the guys who have the real money, the guys and gals that can move the number, what they do is they wait for a number that they think is important. They're disciplined about it. And when the number gets to that, they pounce. And we're talking about the people that bet over, you know, 5,000 a bet, 10,000 a bet. No, I'm not talking about guys who bet 200, 500. So as Jeff Sherman just said, got a wave of sharp money on the Chiefs plus two and a half. And at two, 
Now the line is down to Cincinnati minus one. I'm leaning Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati's healthier, has the better roster. It looked like Mahomes was good today at his press conference. And they're at home, which makes a big deal of a difference here. But I'm leaning towards picking Cincinnati on Friday. And San Francisco, Philadelphia, the line opened up Philly minus one and a half. Circa has it at Philly minus two and a half. Westgate has it at two and a half. It's pretty much two and a half across the board here. I don't think, as Jeff Sherman told us yesterday, that'll get to three. If it does get to three, I think the San Francisco public money and sharp money will come back in and knock it down to two and a half or to two. As I always said, bet with your wallet, not with your head. If Philadelphia wins, and they should win at home, then the Niners go into the offseason probably going with Brock Purdy as their quarterback in the offseason. Jimmy Garoppolo could be a Raider or end up somewhere else, and I don't know what's going to happen to Trey Lance. Gangster Raider called in on that earlier. If they're going to give away Trey Lance for a lesser-round pick, would the Raiders be interested in that? Well, the Raiders are interested in a good young quarterback with tremendous upside. I think Trey Lance has that. But that's only if the Niners say they don't want to work with him anymore. And a couple of 49ers have sat out of practice earlier today, including Christian McCaffrey, which is not a big deal because all these guys are going to play. But a couple of their more important players, offensive players, did not practice. Elijah Mitchell, groin, Debo Samuel, his ankle, and Christian McCaffrey has a bruised calf. And if you were watching that game closely, you saw him stretching his calf and getting treatment during the last game. Those are really uh, those are some important pieces on that team, and they don't need to practice. I've said this before. When you get to the AFC in the NFC championship game, you don't need to practice. If you're hurt, Patrick Mahomes, shut it down. Do not practice. Go through the walkthrough. Go through the meetings. You're sitting there for all the film study. You do not have to run and sprint and go through practice. There's not a lot of practice in the NFL, as you know, anymore. There's no padded practices and all that, especially at the end of a season where teams are just desperate to keep as many healthy players going as they make a run towards the Super Bowl. Could shape up to be a great Super Bowl. I think the matchups are going to be dead even. That's one thing we know about this Super Bowl before we go to Glendale. Whoever's in it out of these four teams, it's going to be a tight point spread. These teams are all very evenly matched. There doesn't seem to be an elite dominant team. Thanks to Bobby who put the show together. Vinny Bonsignor, Nestor Aparicio. Q's coming up next. He'll tell you what we're doing as we're getting more information about our road trip to the Super Bowl. Also, the Pro Bowl and what I'll be doing out at the facility. We'll do a show from out at the Pro Bowl, too. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks to all of our partners, especially the DeCastaverde Law Group, 702-222-9999. Alex DeCastaverde, our personal injury attorney. Have a great day.